dirty Dutch mantel. Just the name reminds you of wrestling gone by. Of great US wrestling. And if anybody's had a huge career in wrestling from the 70s until certainly 2017 is the last sighting I've got of Dirty Dutch, then this gentleman has it. He's worked in the independent territories, WWF, WCW, TNA, Impact, Japan, Puerto Rico, Guam, Trinidad and Tobago, Turks and Caicos, maybe not those last three. But you know, he's had a great career, and not just as a wrestler, but he's had the pencil in a lot of those territories as well. You know, he was the booker in Puerto Rico for both federations. He was the booker in TNA, or one of them, Creatives. It's going to be a great story when he tells his autobiography. But that won't be in the world according to Dutch. Because this book is not really an, an autobiographical recollection. What this is, is lots of random thoughts and not even very tasty ones either. When you consider that the Grapplers book is out there, this is a gentleman who worked mainly in the independence, but had the pencil and was the, the booker throughout different federations. His tale is full of colour and interest and anger and what being the booker meant the heat that brought him it's really quite an exciting read this isn't okay he doesn't do the i was born in and i'm very pleased about that because i tend to skip those in autobiographies to be honest unless it's something unless the, unless the writer's got a really good sense as in Rob Halford, you know, from Judas Priest, his recent book, Confess. He's got such a nice matey way with him that you savour every word. That's not the case with Dirty Dutch. And so you don't get much of the growing up stuff. What you do get is, this is how I came up to wrestling. But you don't get any of those great characters in there or the excitement of, this is how I did it. You know, he's worked through Memphis. He was there with Jerry Jarrett in Memphis, when it was so, when it was huge, when they had the junkyard dog, when they had Lawler, when people came through, Duggan and all, you know, I've seen this stuff and it was, it was cooking. He did a lot of work with um, Randy Savage early on. And he tells us a little bit about how Savage's in-ring persona was very much like his, um, his persona out of the ring. You've also got a sort of a, a, a story, a chapter about Savage and the police dog, which is really a story about Savage going into a some kind of waffle house after a, a match, wanting to be to get his order. Somebody else coming in saying, I just got married. Everybody knows him in the waffle house, this bloke. So Savage isn't happy that his, his order's taking some time. And he says, we don't care. They have a standoff, the police are called, and um, the bloke runs away, and Savage is chased by a police dog. And it's, on the, it's in the papers the following day. 
don't need to hear this. Well, if we do, you don't need a chapter about it. There's also Dutchisms, zingers that I passed at the uh, at the creative, TNA creative, a bit of that, you know. And they're not, they're not, you don't think, ooh, I can imagine people using these at a roast. Some of them are all right. There were also some jokes, wrestling people's jokes. Some of these are a bit dodgy, these jokes. I'm not... I can't celebrate those jokes. I think, oh, I don't think they would pass muster, to be honest. Some of this is good. There are some um, stories around him mentoring Mark Calloway, who, of course, went on to be mean Mark Calloway, who, of course, went on to be one of the skyscrapers, who, of course, went on to be some character called The Undertaker. I don't know what happened to him. And um, Glenn Jacobs, who went on to become Isaac Yankum, DDS and others. So, you know, there are two chapters about that, and quite rightly so. He really did give them their start, if you like, into the bigger leagues, which was for both of them. Uh, Well, for one of them with WCW, and for one of them with WWF. So, you know, there is that, quite rightly so. And there is a really, um, there's a really nice chapter about Japan. He was booked on a tour of Japan and was absolutely shocked that people would just trying to beat him up every night. Only about halfway through the tour did, he was he was with, um, I think it was Bob Sweet and was telling him, you do know this is a kind of, this is this is an actual real fight promotion, don't you? Said, no, I didn't know that. No wonder they're trying to beat me up every night. Didn't enjoy his time at, at Japan. And there are, there are pictures throughout the book and the pictures of him in Japan. He's not smiling on any of those. He's really enduring it. He hasn't been back to Japan since. You get a couple of chapters about how crazy the crowds are in Puerto Rico. And we don't need two chapters on that. One would have done, really. I don't need to be told that the crowds are crazy in Puerto Rico and then be told a couple of chapters later that the crowds are actually crazy in Puerto Rico. I think I I I heard that somewhere before. As wrestling commentators would say, it's deja vu all over again. It's not, it's just deja vu. Or maybe they're going somewhere else with it. And it is all over again. Because that's what deja vu... Anyway. There's also a nice chapter on him having the pencil in Puerto Rico. And a really good story, actually, about him, in his view, bringing bringing Carlos Colon's uh, WWC promotion from the shits to something really quite special as far as audiences go. And him going to Carlos Colon and saying, I'd, I'd like to have a raise, please. And Carlos saying, I can't do that for you. You know, I can't, I'm not making enough money. And him thinking, well, I'm sure you are. Then Carlos Colon saying, I want to, I want Jeff Jarrett for the next event. Him phoning Jeff Jarrett and saying, how much? Jeff Jarrett saying $10,000. And him thinking, oh, Carlos is never going to go for this. You know, and going back to Carlos and saying he wants 10 grand. Yeah, okay, just get him down a bit on the price. Clearly that makes um, um, Dutch think, well, there is money then, isn't there? So he walks, because he's, he's had conversations from Savio Vega and his mates about the IWA. It wasn't doing so well, it was new. And they're situated, their offices are situated two blocks away from the WWC offices. He, gets, he walks out of the WWC office, walks two blocks to the IWA. They sign him up. Another job. That's great. There were stories about this happening in the 70s in Britain, and it's happened to Dirty Dutch as well. He's really, he has a real 
way with the pencil in certain kinds of um, in certain kinds of federation. He tells the uh, uh, there's a long chapter actually about his really good friend Jim Cornette and, and why he dislikes Russo so much and how Cornette was in TNA and then Russo came in and how that was handled. That's a really interesting one. There is an uh, there's a, a chapter of course about the Bruiser Brody at death because um, Dutch was in the dressing room at the time and got his deposition to go and speak at the trial a day too late. Oh yeah. Of course they did that. He doesn't speak much about it. The majority of the of the conversation of the chapter is about how crap the hotels was that he was in. But there's not much to tell about this. We've already seen it, Dark Side of the Ring and all that kind of stuff. So some of these chapters are interesting. Particularly the stuff about TNA and the way that went and the way it was at the beginning when he was brought in and the way it, and the way it started and what it became. There's not much about the WWE in there, or WWF as it was then. Um, and I would like just some more idea of how the business worked. I suppose the odd thing is that even with an autobiography or a memoir, you really want less of your time in it and more of what happened around you. That's the real key, isn't it? You can't have yourself on every page because that just puts everything else into the background and the stuff that happened in your life is important too. That's the feeling I get here. Not saying that Dirty Dutch Mantel is some kind of egotist. It's just that I don't think it's constructed as well as it should be. Such a shame. It's probably only a three and a half out of five, really. And I was really looking forward to reading it because he's had such time in, in wrestling and done so well in wrestling, often um, without much fanfare. And he, and he does blow his own trumpet here. And quite rightly. But if he'd just given us more of what was happening when he was doing that stuff... I think it would have made for a much better book. Such a shame. Wayne Keown, as he as he actually is known, has still got to write a great book about his life. But as I say, the world according to just ain't it. Ta-ta.